and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity Podcast. know that I took a step back from activism nearly four years ago now, in the autumn of 2007. Since then I've declined all but a select few speaking invitations and I've got on with being a gamekeeper rather than a poacher. Listeners to this podcast also told me in a survey a couple of years ago that they preferred interviews and documentaries to recordings of events, which is why I produce the kind of mix that I do and why speeches aren't often featured. A few weeks ago, someone told me, though, how a conference I'd attended in the summer of 2007 had affected them. It was the first Trans with Pride conference, Transfabulous, staged by Jay Stewart and his colleagues at Gendered Intelligence. I'd been invited to present an opening keynote address, one of my last planned speeches as a trans activist, and I was accompanied on the bill by the famous American trans campaigner and teacher, Kate Bornstein. Together, Kate and I had the privilege of kicking off a truly memorable event. We were the bookends in a session which set the scene and the mood for everything that followed. Looking back, that event marked a transition, I think, where one generation of campaigners signalled it was time to hand the baton on to another. Four years later, looking back, I think you can hear that mood in the air. Strangely, whilst uh, the introduction's been going on, I don't normally dream about what I'm going to do in the day, but I had a very strange dream last night. But so far, it's okay. My clothes are still on. <laughs> and I, I've decided, I thought about this on the way over, Yeah, if you really want to, you know, I won't stop you. But... <laughs> I'd like to start by taking you back a bit and probably looking at most of you because you all look a bit younger than me, some of you. Some of you may not have been born at the time, but I'd like to take you all the way back to February 1976, very cold winter. And a place in Manchester, on the Manchester Salford border, called, uh, slightly named for it, Camp Street. It's a pretty run down sort of area, it certainly was at that time. And I'd like to picture it's a dark night, and I'm sitting in my car feeling very worried, looking across the road at a house which I found out about by ringing up the Samaritans. And I'm watching to see who's going in and who's coming out. And eventually, after about half an hour, I've plucked up the courage to go across the road and ring the bell and be let in. And this is my first experience of meeting other trans people. I've got a couple of vivid memories of that um, time, which is what, 31 years ago. One is that it was pretty dingy. It was actually fairly welcoming, but the, the tea was out of cracked cups and the, the, the springs were coming out of the sofa. And that sort of conveyed the, the level of which you know, trans people actually you know, got together in back rooms secretly 
and fairly ashamedly. Um, the other thing that really hit me uh, and has never left me that night was it was the first time in my life I'd ever met a trans man. Because until that point, it never even occurred to me that trans men existed. Um, and actually, the man I met, I only realised about 20 years later when we came to work together, was uh, Stephen Whittle. So it was a sort of spooky event that our ships passed in the night and we didn't actually realise that we'd, we'd met. I'd like to take you forwards from that point, now about 20 years to 1995-96, because that was, although Press for Change was formed in 1992, it was really about that much time, three or four years, before we really started to get things moving. We'd uh, uh, had our first uh, proper fringe meetings at the Labour and Conservative Party conferences in September 1995. That was the... Um, summer when I actually had to decide to come out for myself as well to my colleagues in the Liberal Conservative Party and in, uh, in Cheshire. And it's, it's odd to think actually that since that event that uh, things have moved forward and actually I now find that uh, I'm far more embarrassed about admitting to the fact that I was once a Conservative. <laughs> really at that point we nothing had actually changed um, legal standing hasn't changed our rights hadn't changed when I was coming out it was quite possible I might actually have to sell up and move away, I might be completely shunned I might lose my job all those things hung over us all at that time and when the press turned up to report those fringe meetings they came expecting a freak show and they came expecting to write the funny piece for the next day's paper well, they didn't get that material. They got something that made them think instead. And because that wasn't what they were prepared to do, we weren't covered at all in the following day's paper. But that's the point at which we actually started to move forward. In uh, February 1996, um, Sir Alex Carlyle uh, attempted to put a, a private member's bill through Parliament. It failed, but at least it actually got us into Hansard for the very first time. And um, we're also beginning to see some good documentaries starting to appear. Um, a little later that year, we won our first case in the European Court of Justice. And that actually gave us, for the first time, and all trans people throughout Europe, some protection against simply being dismissed in employment. And a couple of years later, that actually became a firmer part of UK law through... Uh, the gender, sorry, the sex discrimination gender reassignment regulations in 1999. So that period of time from that, that sort of turning point in 1996 through to um, the last couple of years was really the time when we really forged forward, but all of our attention was on the law. So we had the gender reassignment regulations, we had uh, a win that determined that it was unlawful to discriminate, uh, to operate a policy in the health service that amounted to a blanket ban on uh, providing treatment. Um, in 2002, of course, we won, on July the 11th, how can I forget it, um, we won our big case in the European Court of Human Rights and things really started to move then. We became professional consultants for the government and 
excitement of actually seeing uh, an act of parliament go from a few scribbles on a piece of paper through drafting, through haggling, and finally to sitting on those really, really hard seats in the House of Commons and watching for seven hours as it was debated and finally voted, not by a small margin, but by an enormous margin, into law. And I must say that was probably the most exciting moments of my life. I remember keeping myself going for that whole decade in terms of imagining that moment. And it was such an emotional moment that if I imagined it when I was driving, I would have to stop and have a cry because that's how it felt. Oddly, actually, when it happened, it didn't feel that way. We just made a beeline for the bar. <laughs> Which just goes to show, you see, that when you're actually making advance, you actually soon start thinking about the next thing in life. And that's where, of course, we've got to now. With the Gender Recognition Act in place, uh, and since it came into force in April 2005, over 2,100 people have applied for legal recognition. Um, which immediately actually gives the lie to that old-fashioned statistic that said we're immensely rare uh, and only one in 30,000 or something. Because if that was the case, there'd only be about 500 trans people. So, oh, yeah, the other people. They obviously think it's cool. Um, but the important thing then was to, with all these legal uh, wins, was of course that the law doesn't really change anything. It doesn't change people's attitudes. All that having law in place does is to draw a line in the sand. It says in statute, this is what society expects. This is, the, this, this is what right, people's rights should be. But it doesn't actually prevent people from discriminating. We've had the Sex Discrimination Act since 1975, but 32 years later, women are still not paid the same as men. Discrimination goes on. The same with the Race, Race Relations Act that became the... Um, you know, has gone through a couple of um, iterations, but still there's race discrimination, and there's disability discrimination, and there's sexual orientation discrimination, and there's age discrimination. And you know, the scary thing is, the older I get, the more of these things I seem to be picking up. <laughs> so, the important thing, having done 90% of our work with the law, I say 90% because we've still got to secure protection against discrimination in the supply of goods and services. We've still got to ensure that everybody can use this sex sorry, the, the Gender Reassignment Act because there are people who can't use it. And we've got to ensure that the, the anti-discrimination law applies to more than people who are defined as intending to undergo, undergoing or having undergone gender reassignment. Because that leaves out transgender people. That leaves out people who cross-dress. That leaves out people who gender fuck. That leaves out... The, the list of who it leaves out is longer than the list of who it actually provides protection to. And this is what I can't understand, because if you're going to do equality, I cannot for life in me understand why you actually set about doing equality in a way that sets out to leave people out. It's a contradiction in terms. But certainly, with these changes, I've also seen trans people's self-perception change as well. Doesn't it feel different when those laws are actually on your side, and when people actually look at them and they take them seriously? And 
feel that that's the world takes us more seriously as well. It certainly seems to be all over the place. I seem to see that we're suddenly becoming the new uh, in thing to write about or to, to have on television. I read yesterday that the This Morning programme, if you don't work, apparently, this is what you should watch on the television in the morning. And um, they apparently are now going to have a makeover spot for uh, transsexual and transgender women in the morning on the television. Not just one, but apparently a permanent session. So apparently, I think that obviously they're all going to come around to us all at some point. <laughs> I'm not going back there. The last time I appeared on that program was in 1997, and uh, Richard Madeley looked at me, and I thought, well, he'd been watched by two and a half million people here. And he said, so let me get this right. You used to have a penis. <laughs> and he couldn't understand why I was a little bit shocked. <laughs> I felt like saying, because you're a dick. <laughs> but then nobody needs to tell that to his wife. So. Oh, do you know I've got so? <laughs> so, in the world post the Gender Recognition Act, we actually think about the things then that really make up a complete life and actually start to think about the things that stand in the way of us feeling completely equal to other people. That means that when we go out of here, when we walk around, when we go, we want to go out socialising at night, we need to feel safe, whether it's on our own, or at least no more unsafe than any other woman walking around in, in the streets. Our well-being is vitally important. You know, they, they used to say, you know, a, a dog is not for Christmas, you know, it's for life. Well, you know, a sex change is not just for, uh, you know, it's not just a little thing that takes place, it's for life. And after that event, which seems immensely important at the time, we've got to get on with our lives. We want to live long and healthy lives. I want to collect my pension and I want to in, enjoy some time, if you'll, let, if you'll all let me off at some point or other. So... Health means more than just uh, ensuring that people can get gender reassignment treatment or indeed stopping them thinking that it's all about gender reassignment. Actually, it's all about well-being and people being able to feel comfortable in themselves, whatever that accommodation happens to be. And one of the things we've actually got to do with the medical system is to get them out of that locked-in idea that it's all about packing off wellies and sticking sticking them on and so on and actually it's about people being able to express who they are inside it's about continuing to develop our economic security the, um, the sex discrimination act provisions uh, were important but we've got to go further than that, we've got to provide that protection for transgender people, we've got to provide that protection for anybody who raises somebody else's eyebrows because in their view, they don't look right, they don't look masculine enough, or they don't look feminine enough, or whatever. Because this isn't just about being trans, it's about body fascism. And last but not least, I wondered actually how to put these into order. Um, it's about being able to celebrate, have our families, both you know, our own parents and our brothers and sisters, but also people who are actually close to us 
and to have children as well. And we haven't perhaps paid enough attention to that. I mean, in my day, back in those 70s, looking across the road, I knew that if I came out, that I, I thought I was going to lose everybody in my life. I'd lose all my friends at university, I'd lose my parents, I'd lose um, everything in effect. Actually, in the event, I lost a few people who turned out probably not to be friends, and my relationship with my parents is better now than it ever was before. So you can be mistaken, but I think we need to really focus on those things. This is a change in the way that we think about ourselves. It's actually thinking, how do we have a comp as complete a life as Joe Blocks over there? <clears throat> and I would just want to emphasize that idea of um, the importance of quality. When we started campaigning, uh, it was almost a badge of honor that the, the materials that we used were knocked off on the, the back of a Gestetna machine. They looked a bit tatty. And that's all we could afford. And somehow or other, it's, it's a sort of badge that when you're at that position in society, that's what you do. And yet, over the last two or three years, with the aid now of money from the Department of Health, which we're only too happy to help them spend, um, we're producing DVDs that help to educate health workers. We're producing leaflets. I'm really proud of the fact that uh, this was produced this year. It's a guide for young trans people in the UK. And it was written by young trans people with, with, the, uh, with some facilitation from gendered intelligence. And it's absolutely fantastic. I wish we could have done that when I was, when I was that age. And I'm really excited about what I see in young trans people because they seem to be a different breed to us old folkies, because they've grown up without the same constraints and the same assumptions about what should be acceptable to their lives. And so they start from a different point. They're actually standing on our shoulders. And eventually they'll tell, tell us to get the hell out of it because we, are, we don't understand and we don't mind it. And actually, I can't wait for that moment. Bring it on. We've also, you know, at the other end of life, we've, we've produced a fantastic booklet on, on bereavement as well. And we, we haven't missed out the, the bits in between. We're producing a huge number of leaflets. They're coming through the, uh, the track now on all the issues that people need to know about. And we're producing educational material to start to tell doctors. And we're starting to have serious discussions with some PCTs, um, which we'll cover in the, in the health stream later. The important thing about this, though, is the fact that we're doing it with quality. Because that's, and again, an important reflection on how we see ourselves. Second best really isn't good enough. So when you think about things, don't think about how can we cut it down and do it on a shoestring. Think about how should this be done if we're doing it well. And if that seems a bit strange, just repeat this mantra to, to yourself. I'm doing it because it's, I'm important enough to do that. Because I'm worth it. So I do all these things, and, and I stay in nice hotels. I, I'll tell you a little anecdote. Till Monday this week, when I unfortunately became redundant, I've been working in, in an office in a, in a residential care home uh, for people with mental health problems and learning disabilities. And my office is on the second floor, and the photocopier and the loo and the coffee and everything else is on the ground floor. So I spend a lot of time walking backwards and forwards around the building. And 
obviously getting to know the service users very well. And they would say, hi, Christine, you're looking very smart today. And I was very complimentary. I would say, why do you, you know, the other staff don't, don't dress smartly when they come to work. They come in their tatty jeans. Why do you do that? And I said, well, because you're worth it. And I think we should keep saying that to ourselves. You know, why should it be good? You know, why should we do these things? Because I'm worth it. Should we have a go at that? <laughs> why are we doing this today? Because we're worth it. It's not good enough. <laughs> Shall we try again? No, you know, if you want to change the world, you're going to have to put some welly into it. <laughs> Why are we doing this today? Because we're worth it! Blimey, I felt that. <laughs> right, it's good, we've got that message. <clears throat> and actually, I think we actually have to start to look and think about the rest of the world differently as well. The language that we operate under, the, you know, all the things that we break ourselves down as trans, transgender, cross-dressing, all these, these complicated words that divide us rather than uniting us. They... The other side of the world, the world outside of our world, doesn't need those terms because they regard themselves as, as normal. And I think we don't actually have a word for that because when we talk about people, we usually struggle about that because we don't want to say a normal woman or a normal man because that's not right. We don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want to say, I, don't, I hate this idea of a genetic woman. You know, I'm a genetic woman, it's just my genetics are a bit different to some other women's. The word I tend to use is non-trans, which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, and then I realised, driving down yesterday, that uh, you could shorten it. You could say non-t. And actually, if you say it quickly, it's, you know, it's either a nont, <laughs> which doesn't sound at all complimentary, but then you know, the way in which our labels have been used haven't been entirely complimentary. And you know, who knows, you know, in 20 years' time, they might rec reclaim it. You know, say <laughs> Actually, that sort of sounds sort of cute, doesn't it? <laughs> so, you know, when you go out again, you know, think, look around, think, oh God, there's a monkey over there. <laughs> and it's amazing what a difference in attitude it brings. So, I'd like you to go and try that, you know. And if it if, if it becomes a movement, just remember you heard it here first. <laughs> so, I think we've come an awful long way, but actually we're at an important crossroads. We're at a point where everybody now is talking about equality and diversity. Um, we did an important thing this year. We managed to actually persuade Trevor Phillips and the Commission for Equality and Human Rights to actually say, talk now in terms of seven strands of equality, so that instead of being invisible and lost somewhere between gender and sexual orientation, neither of which we fitted, the people who are actually now thinking actively about how we include everybody in our society remember the word transgender. And actually, that's good as well. They're using the words trans and transgender. They're not saddled with this medical term that only includes part of the room. We're not talking about transsexual exclusively. And they're getting enthusiastic about it. It's a new thing. I'm going to do uh, a talk next week for the dis uh, disability... Oh, God, I can never remember. Rights Commission... And it's a sellout. I'm doing one the following week. And it's a, they always say, you know, we've got this is the biggest attended event that we've ever done and we're really looking forward to it. Well, that's great. You know, um, 
people are suddenly interested. They want to know more about us. And we've got to actually grab that opportunity and run with it. Because in a few years' time, people's attention will have moved on to other things. And we either capitalise on this opportunity, get out and talk to people, or we get left behind and forgotten. And people are still thinking, well, who are these trains? So go out, you know, grab hold of a nont and, uh, and tell it like it is. And please enjoy today. Thanks very much. so much. It's been a long time since I've been in England and I don't think I've ever faced a room of family here before. And it's um, overwhelming and completely gratifying. And I want to thank everyone for your opening remarks. I'm overwhelmed. Um, I'm speaking to you and I will be speaking to you not as an activist. I have been accused of being an activist. I've never owned up to being an activist. I call myself an artist in service to activism. So my goal is I want to meet um, some of those interested people who have pots of money. <laughs> Just come see me. Um, so this is Transfabulous 07, and it's the first of three days of study, sex, work, and play here at London Pride. Everyone in the States was jealous when I said I was coming to something called Transfabulous. We don't give our events something as fun that names like that. Uh, we, we just don't. We're too fucking puritanical over there. Um, but the fact is, we are fabulous. We work at being fabulous. Each one of us in our own way, mild and wild alike. We are extraordinary. We are unusual. And we're quite remarkable. We're amazingly good at what we do best, which is being fabulous. And we have no basis in reality in the uber culture that is swallowing or killing all of us, invisibilizing us, or depriving or denying each and every one of us. We are mythical creatures in that uber culture. And that's fabulous too. We just need to use our fabulous to get what we want. And that's where fabulous gets taken seriously. Fabulous never gets discussed much in queer theory, and even less in postmodern theory. I, I once asked a very high-level postmodern theorist, I said, where does postmodern theory cover fun? <laughs> She looked at me like, that was three years ago. She hasn't gotten back to me yet. <laughs> Our gender expressions are fabulous, each and every one of us. I am, I have to say, I've been sitting up here, lucky me. I am attracted to each and every person in this room. <laughs> yes, you, handsome. <laughs> and you, you beautiful, gorgeous thing. I, I am. I, I, I know, I want you to take your clothes off. 
Our fabulousness does not get taken seriously outside of our own conference. So please, I hope we do take it seriously here today. I know what fabulous means to me. I do not know what fabulous means to you. But I am going to be attending, pretty much popping in and out in each of every workshop. So if you see me come in and then leave, please don't think it's because, ew, I don't like what's being done. It's because these strands are being spun and woven, and we will cut them of a piece at the end of the day. We should have a lovely tapestry by the end of the day. You will see me with, is Claudia here? She seems to latecomers. All right, um, Claudia and, and I will be will be popping in and out together, and at the end of the day, I'll be talking about what I've seen. Why? Because we finally have a day to ourselves. We finally have a day to work hard, listen, and respond to each other. As Jay said. What have you to say? What have you to learn? We're talking about what? Trans in the workplace, health issues, education, safety, family, friends, and lovers. That's what we stand to learn if we work hard today, if we cross-pollinate each other when we're done with our work. And why should we do that? Because in this room, I think, is the true key to transunity. And that is overcoming the barriers of not only gender differences, but also race and age and class and nationality and religion and body type and sexuality. I see us all represented in this room. Some, not as many as others. So, we are the future of sex positivity and gender anarchy in the world today. And the future had better not look anything like it does today or there won't be much future left for any of us on this planet. And while we're on the subject of planetary sickness, I am sorry that my president is such a fucked up idiot. <laughs> I didn't vote for him. I want to take your ideas back to the States with me. Maybe we can help each other fire up this revolution of ours, make our gender revolution even more fabulous. Like the image for this, this conference, are the designers of that image here? The, uh, no? Oh my God, I, I, I want a poster of that image up in my room. I, I think that idea of trans revolution is beautiful. I want to live up to it today. Let's keep that image in mind, please, when we walk through the day here, learning about each other's wild and mild and wonderful and wacky and sometimes even scary ways of being fabulous because we are fucking worth it. Thank you for your kind attention.
listening to speeches by myself and Kate Bornstein opening the Transfabulous Conference in London in the summer of 2007. My thanks to the organisers at Gendered Intelligence for the recordings. And that, as usual, brings us to the end of another episode of Just Plain Sense. If you'd like to hear more, then the place to go is our website, podcast.plain-sense.co.uk. Take a look at the subscription options there as well, so you never miss the subsequent shows. Join us again soon for another programme on a topic relating to equality and diversity. For now, though, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense Limited production. (laughs) 